Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to have you guys with us today. Uh, yesterday was Serve Asheville for the Gathering and 12 other churches across our city. Man, it was a great day. We were able to get out there with hundreds of people, a dozen other churches, and let this city know that we see them, that we care for them, um, and that the church was created to serve, not to be served. And so, man, we, we had a great day yesterday. I was able to go serve with our team over at Vance Elementary, and I love serving at schools because that, that's, a, that's a community that so well serves me and serves the children of all of our families. And so, uh, it's so so rewarding to be able to get in there and dig in the dirt a little bit and do something that's going to bless them as well. So thank you to everybody who got out and, and dug and served Asheville yesterday and did all the hard work for Serve Asheville yesterday. If you missed it, you missed out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and some of you guys, I see some of you guys are, are wearing your t-shirts today from Serve Asheville. I just want to say I hope you washed them. Uh, because, you know, I know y'all worked hard yesterday, and, I, and, and people are sitting next to you in a pew right now. And so, you know, just for the stinkiness, I hope that, I hope that they've been washed. But it's so, so much fun. Uh, we're going to be doing it again in November. I think November 4th is the date. And so if you missed this one, go ahead and pencil that one in on your calendar way ahead of time. You got no excuses. We'll see you there in a few months. Well, I'm so excited um, to get into the second part of this two-part series with you today called 90%. If it's your first time at the gathering, let me just welcome you and let you know that this is a place where we're kind of obsessed with next steps. We talk about it all the time because we, we don't want you to be in the same place a year from now that you are today. We want you to continually be moving forward. In fact, we believe the Bible lays out clear next steps for us. Throughout all of Scripture, we see this clear pathway um, that we were created to follow. And we believe that is for us to know God, to find freedom, to discover our purpose, and to make a difference. Today, I want to talk a little bit about that finding freedom piece of it. And in fact, I think it's so important for us to talk about money. If you didn't know we were talking about money and you came in here and now we're going to talk about money, it's too late. We closed the doors. You can't leave. And we think it's so important to talk about money because money is one of those things that distracts us from our purpose so often. And money is one of those things that can get in between us and God regularly. It can consume far more of our thoughts and energy than anything in this world ever should. And so our goal is not to lead you on a financial seminar. Our goal is to give you some wisdom and biblical practices so you can get money out of the center stage of your life and you can put Jesus in his rightful place. That's what we're doing today. Uh, this series is called 90% because we don't want to just, a lot of times when we think about the church talking about money, we get a little uncomfortable because all we think about is the tithe and we feel like, I don't know about that. It makes me feel weird. And, and so we want to talk about the tithe, but we also want to talk about the 90%. So uh, today we're going to really dig into that 90% and how we live with it and what we do with it in the whole nine yards. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about the spiritual aspect behind financial stress. We said that oftentimes that it's not just a natural issue when it comes to the stress that comes from our money. It's a spiritual issue. And if we want to be able to address the issue in the natural, we have to first address it in the spiritual. If you missed it, 
I would really recommend you go online either to our website or you listen to our podcast and you check out that message from last week because I really believe it can lead you one step closer to the freedom you were created to live in. Um, Today, what I want to do is get really practical with it. And so if you guys know me, you know, I think there's two different kinds of pastors in the way that we, we present from the stage. One is preaching and the other is teaching. And so I think I'm more of a preacher. If I have it my way, I've got a pulpit up here and I'm just kind of leaning over that thing while gripping it hard. That's what I like to do. But today I'm going to have to take my stool a little bit closer and sit down and I just want to teach a little bit. I want to talk. I want to get in the weeds a little bit with some of these financial practices that we have, so we can get this area of our lives right, so we can get it out of the way, so Jesus can take center stage again. Last week, um, I shared a little bit with you about uh, how financially responsible I was as a young man. Um, that's a joke. If you if you were here, you know that when I first joined the Coast Guard and started making money, I did not make very good decisions with it. I lived on a credit card and spent about twice as much money as I was earning. It was like a get-rich-quick scheme. I realized if I got a bunch of credit cards, I could literally double the amount of money that I had to live on. And so this is what I did. I doubled the amount of money that I had to live on, and it made me very rich for a period of a couple of years, and then it made me very poor for a lot longer period of time. What started out as $25 a month in credit card payments quickly ballooned to $250 a month in credit card payments. And so luckily for you guys, this was such a stressful season of my life that I remember all the dirty details about my finances at that time, and I want to break it down for you today so you can understand a little bit about uh, where I was at. So first, I rented an apartment for $800 a month on the Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg, real estate was good in 2007. Come on, somebody. I mean, I would fish from my porch all the time, and you would think that would cut back on the grocery bills. It did not, because when you catch a good fish, you got to go buy a steak to go with it. You know what I'm saying? Fish is kind of like a vegetable. It's such a light meat. Um, and so... And so it's more of a side item. And so uh, I rented an apartment for $800 a month. I had $700 a month in credit card payments and personal loans. I had $140 per month for a car payment. I had $100 a month cell phone bill because you know I needed unlimited everything, please. I made about $1,800 a month at this season in my life, if you do the math. That left me with about $60 at the end of each month to buy gas, groceries, and movie tickets, okay? It was a scarce season. Here's how I did it, and this is a great advice if you're living in a time like that. What I would do is on payday, I knew what time the paycheck would hit the bank, and I would be at the bank waiting. And as soon as my, pay, my money would go into the bank, I'd hit the ATM and I'd take out as much cash as it would let me. And I'd fold that up and put it in my pockets, and then everything that was left would get auto-drafted out to bills immediately after. And so I would always make sure my rent got paid and my car got paid because I needed a place to live and I needed something to drive. And then from there, it was just kind of like a rotating tap as to which bills got paid each month. If you're thinking that's actual advice, Please stick around for the rest of the message. That was not the right way to live. Um, When I realized that every time my phone rang, it was a debt collector or somebody trying to get money that I owed them from me, I realized that it was time for something in my life to change. So I moved out of my luxurious apartment 
and into my pickup truck. And I picked some of those credit cards and I just started paying them off with that rent money. But it wasn't enough. I still had no idea how to manage my money. I didn't know how to keep this from happening again and I was still in way over my head. And so one day I broke down and I did the unthinkable. I called my dad and asked for help. It was hard, I'm telling you, hardest thing I've ever done because here's the thing. My dad is exceptionally generous and exceptionally wise. And so at any time during this process, if I would have just picked up the phone and called him, he would have bailed me out like this. He would have let me know how dumb I was for making those decisions, but he also would have bailed me out. But I instead had chosen to live out of my car for a period of six months before calling him. I'm very stubborn. And so when I finally called him, it was very difficult. And I, I remember I, I called him up and I went down to Charleston um, where he lived and, and we sat down and I asked for help. And he said, okay, let me see all your bank statements and bills. And that was a terrifying moment. I didn't even know where to find them all. I had, had no idea how much money I owed. I had to track it all down. And once I tracked it all down, I laid it all out on the table and there it was. All the money I owed, all the money I had laid out for us to see. And I remember my dad just shaking his head and saying, what a mess. Let me help. And you know, I'm so fortunate to have a dad who so closely mirrors our Father in heaven. Because that's what God does. You know, we sit down with the ledger of all the mistakes that we've made and, and what little we have presently. And we sit down and he looks at us and the mess that he warned us how not to make and says, let me help. Let me help. I'm here for you anyways. So my dad walked me through uh, each of these bills and, and, and what to do next. And we talked through it. And after looking through all this mess that he made, he looked me in the eyes and he gave me this piece of wisdom. He said, son, you can't spend more than you earn. I know. I know it's very deep. It's very deep. But that has stuck with me. Because I was living like I had never understood that principle before. And so today, I want to share with you what I learned through that season. Um, I had been living in scarcity when I was called and equipped to live in abundance. And so today, I want to talk about how we can move from living the way that our culture lives, and that's with the mindset of scarcity, and move to the way our Father in Heaven has created us to live, and that is with a life of abundance. So here's a few things that we do um, when we live in scarcity. Scarcity. Here's a few things that, that we see and a few lenses we look through life with and a few of the realities we have to wrestle with when we live in scarcity. First is this. If I get enough, I will be secure. Nope, that's last week. First is this. We make a living wage but can't afford to live. We make a living wage but can't afford to live. I spent nine years in the Coast Guard. And so in the military and in the Coast Guard, it's a little bit different than in the civilian world. Because in the civilian world, you guys are a little protective about like how much money you make. Like you don't want your coworkers to know because what if you got a bonus or a raise that they didn't get? Or it'd be weird for your neighbors to know because, you know, it'd just be, we're just kind of private about it. It's not that way in the military because our entire pay scale is posted on the wall in the workplace. And so it's like, if I want to know how much you make, I just go over here and say, how long you been in the Coast Guard again? Six years. Okay, let's see. You're right here. And then we go over there and then that's it. There you go. 
That's what you take home every month. And so it was interesting because we would pull into a port call. I was stationed on a ship in the beginning of my career. And I remember pulling into a port call. And guys would try to like rally other guys to do like cool excursions. You know, we'd have a day off in Grand Cayman or something like that. It was a really difficult life. But, you know, somebody had to serve. And so I did it. And um, we'd pull into Grand Cayman and they'd be like, hey, let's all get together and go do this scuba diving trip. And all these guys would be like, yeah, man, I can. I, got, I don't have any money. And then, and then the organizing guy would be like, wait a minute, we're, we're the same rank. And then let me look at this pay scale here. Looks like we make exactly the same amount of money. So how is it that I've got enough money to go scuba diving and you're broke? Yeah, but here's the thing. See, as people, we're able to be broke no matter how much money we make. It's an impressive skill that we have as humans. We can always find a way of being broke. And maybe this is you. Maybe no matter how many raises you get, or no matter how big the tax return was, or no matter what, at the end of the day, you just don't have any money. Second thing in a scarcity mindset is this. We live paycheck to paycheck. We live paycheck to paycheck. Now, that's a common phrase with a couple of different meetings, so let me define it for you. Um, When it's three days before payday, and you run out of milk, so you wait three days to buy more milk. When it's three days before payday, and you run out of toilet paper, so you steal some from the office. That's living paycheck to paycheck. This means you aren't saving or investing. You're simply existing on the money you make with nothing left over at the end of the month. And paycheck to paycheck really means paycheck to paycheck most of the time. Because there's always going to be that that period where somehow you're completely out of money and you got four days left before payday where you've got to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. And this lifestyle leads to an enormous amount of strain and stress. The third thing is this. We can't afford to be generous. We can't afford to be generous. We have a friend with a need. Their heating furnace broke. And some of the other folks in life group are collecting money to bless them with. And you sit quietly and hope nobody looks at you. And you're praying just that, the, that, that a heat wave moves in. You know? <laughs> you're like, I'll take care of this for you in my own way. You know? Because you love these guys and you want to help them, but you can't. Or maybe you sat through our message last week and you felt compelled, convicted to return the tithe. But then you looked at your bank account and you thought, I don't even have 10% left over for me at the end of the month. Or maybe you go out to eat and the check comes and you forgot to account for the tip. And you thought you could afford to eat out there, but you forgot to tally this part up. So when the check comes, you just fold up a couple of $1 bills and stuff them under there and hope they don't count it before you're able to get out of the restaurant. I've done that before, but not in a long time. (laughs) Very embarrassing. When we live with scarcity habits, we simply can't afford to be generous. And then the fourth thing is this. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Watch this. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house in a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Oh, man, that poor guy. That's like a 15-year-old commercial. But every time I think about debt, I think about poor Mr. Johnson here, man. This guy is just doing what we all do, what, what many of us 
not all of us, but many of us are guilty of, and that is just going a little bit beyond what we're comfortable with or able to do in order to keep up with the people around us. In order to have a house like the one that our sister just bought, we get a mortgage a little bit higher than we could afford. In order to drive a car like the one our coworker just bought, we get a car payment a little bit higher than we can afford. And it all just kind of adds up piece by piece. And before you know it, you're in debt up to your eyeballs. So I believe a scarcity mindset leads us to a place of debt. And too many of us live in this kind of scarcity, and that's just not the way we're called to live. So last week I talked about the spiritual side of this. And let me be clear again today. I believe we can't fix a spiritual problem with a natural solution. Behind the scarcity that we live in is a very spiritual problem. It's the same problem the disciples had in Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of the feeding of 5,000. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 14, 16 through 21. Uh, All these people had been listening to Jesus teach all day, and then it was starting to get to be dinner time, and the disciples were real worried about having all these hangry people around, you know? So they were like, Jesus, we got to get rid of these folks because they're going to get hangry. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. In verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So did you see the way that they were thinking when they were talking to Jesus? We have here only five loaves and two fish. This is all I got. We only have this. How can we live in abundance with two fish? But God doesn't see it the same way that we see it. We see through a lens of scarcity. We only have two fish and five loaves of bread. God sees through a lens of abundance. Oh, good. There's five loaves of bread and two fish. Now look what I can do. And look what he does. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. You see, God can provide in abundance where we only see opportunity for scarcity. But we've got to address the spiritual issue here first. When Jesus was talking about money in Luke chapter 16, we talked about this last week, verse 11. He said, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And Jesus didn't use the word money here. He intentionally uses this word mammon, which is the name of the God of riches in the ancient Middle East. See, Jesus wanted us to see that when he's talking about money, he's talking about money, the physical thing, and he's also talking about the spirit behind it. Because it's important for us, before we talk about the natural solutions to this scarcity mindset, to understand that at the root of this is a spiritual problem. Your enemy wants to distract you from your purpose. He wants nothing more than to keep you from doing the thing that God put you on this earth to do. And so one of his best strategies is to keep your attention and your mind fixated and focused on money. 
on how to, how to use it, on how to get more of it, on how to spend it, on what to do when you don't have it. He wants this to distract you and consume you. And so before we can talk about the natural solution, you have got to understand there is a spiritual side to this. And so if we're on the same page and you were here last week and you've started to apply some of those spiritual healing principles to your life. If not, I really encourage you to go back and listen. And we're on the same page and you're addressing the spiritual, then let's talk for a few moments about what we can do in the natural. Because there are some things that we can learn from biblical wisdom that we can see that we can apply right now today that would start to change money's position in our hearts. So let's look at this. Um, first thing is this. You, you know, when I sat down with my dad and he looked over my finances, he gave me an attainable budget, a plan to get out of debt, and wisdom to avoid all this in the future. And so now that I'm on the other side of that, I'd love to share some of this with you. First thing is this. Make a budget and live by it. Make a budget and live by it. On paper, on purpose, every month. That's a quote from a financial advisor named Dave Ramsey. He has these classes called Financial Peace University. He has a book called The Complete Money Makeover, and he's a follower of Jesus and a, and a money guru. I really recommend his resources if this is something that's really consuming a lot of your life. And if you want to, to do more than we can do in the next 15 minutes, and if you want to take a class on how to get yourself right financially, um, we can give you the information to take one of those in the fall. Okay, but uh, anyways, Dave Ramsey, when he's talking about budgeting, he always says it's got to be on paper, on purpose, every month, because we cannot steward what we don't track. We can't steward what we don't track. If you make a living wage, but you can't afford to live, your first step is to sit down and write out every expense you have down to the last penny. Print out the last three months of bank statements and write down every do dollar. It takes time, you guys. But creating a budget is one of the biggest impact things you can do for your finances today. Making a budget and spending all this time learning how to, how to properly manage your money will free you up to not have to think about your money as much. But there's work on the front end. Jesus talks about making a plan, a budget, as a metaphor for something else. But since he's using a money principle to allude to the life principle, we can assume the money principle applies as well. So in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, he says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build what they were not able to finish. Don't begin to build what you're not able to finish. How do you know if you're able to finish it? you make a budget for it. We have to know how much we have and where it is going in order to know if we can afford it. We can't do this without a budget. And if we don't have a budget, it's just too easy to waste money. We use this term stewardship a lot in the church. And you see it throughout the Bible. It talks about being a good steward with your talents, with your gifts, and with your finances. 
This comes out of the ancient world practice to every uh, wealthy household would have a steward who was in charge of that household. And the steward's job was to track every good that was traded through that family or every penny that would go out or come in through that family. They were an accountant, basically, for the private affairs of each family. And if the steward were to miss one penny, one transaction, they were either killed or cast out from their job. It was an important position. And so when the Bible talks about stewardship, it's talking about the proper tracking and budgeting of our gifts, of our talents, of our time, and of our money. We have got to make a budget and live by it if we want to steward our money well. So sit down with your bank statements and write out every expense. Figure out how much money you have and make a plan for every penny and the wisest way to spend it. I use an app for this. It makes it incredibly easy. There's an app called Every Dollar, and it's, uh, it's, it's owned by the Dave Ramsey Foundation. It's one of his people's things. And the, the Every Dollar app, will, will you can link it to your bank account so that it will load transactions, and you can create a line item for every single thing you spend money on. And I recommend you create a line item for every single thing you spend money on. Rail and I take a vacation every year. I believe in vacations. Vacation is important because sometimes you need a vacation. You know what I mean? I believe in it. I got to, I got to get away sometimes. I got to get away sometimes. And so I believe in vacation, but Rail and I, when it comes time to vacation, we don't just grab whatever money's in the account and go on a vacation. Instead, it's in my budget and every single month, month by month, I put money aside so that when it comes time for my vacation, I've budgeted for it, I'm prepared for it, I don't get broke because of it, and I'm blessed by it. Let your budget bless you. Create a budget. Make a budget and live by it. Second thing is this. Create margin. Create margin. Now, this is something to do while you're budgeting. As you write out your budget, make sure that you create margin. I believe this is a biblical principle. And an obvious one. You need margin in everything, all the time. You have got to have it in your life. In the book of law, Leviticus, God commands the Hebrew people, an agricultural society, to create some margin for generosity. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, he says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, leave a couple parts of the field unreaped. Make sure that there's still some harvest there, and that way the poor can come by and harvest it themselves. And then when you go through and you pick everything off, whatever you leave behind, don't make a second pass to pick up. Leave it behind so that the poor and the foreigner residing among you can come by and harvest it for themselves. I am the Lord, your God. In other words, create margin so that you can be generous. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, uh, Paul updates this same idea to percentage giving. He says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Create margin in your budget for generosity. Create margin in your budget so that you'll be able to give when the need arises. Or create margin in your budget so you'll be able to spend when the need arises. God says margin is so important, we need it in our everyday lives. The law of the Sabbath is about margin. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. On the seventh day, do no work. 
In other words, give your body some margin. Leave it a little space to rest. If your day goes from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed later than you should be going to bed, and it's all stuff you have to do, not stuff you want to do, and that happens seven days a week, you need margin or you're going to die. True story. Listen, here's what I think we need to do in our finances. Because without margin in our finances, we are going to live paycheck to paycheck. No matter how much you make, you think when you make more, you'll stop living paycheck to paycheck. But if you can't learn, even now, to implement margin into the way you manage your money, it will always just increase, your expenses will increase, and you will continue to live paycheck to paycheck, which will distract you from the purpose that God has created you with. And that creates stress. And it makes money too important in your life. And you begin to drift towards serving money rather than using money to serve God. So I think we need to make it a priority to live on at least or at most 80% of our income or better. 10% should go to the church in the tithe. Um, God says in Malachi 3.10, test me in this. Return the tithe and I will open the floodgates of heaven on your life. That doesn't mean he's going to make you rich. It means he'll give you the things that come from heaven. Real things. He wants to bless you with joy and satisfaction and peace. All the things that money can rob you of. And so save 10% for the tithe and then give yourself a 10% margin. For when the milk runs out before payday. Or for when you want to save for a vacation. Or for when your neighbor's car breaks down and you feel compelled to help. Or for when your car breaks down and you're just going to have to help. I mean, ain't nobody coming. You, you've got to create some margin. Now believe me, I know this isn't easy, but my wife and I believe in this. And we spent several years of sacrifice and hard work getting to a place financially where we could do this. And it was hard work, but it was worth it. In fact, we actually live on 74% of our income now, which means sometimes we have to say no to things that we want or to luxuries our friends have. Or it means driving a car with 100,000 miles on it instead of a car with 10,000 miles on it. And that's okay, because if the car has trouble, we have margin. If you look at your budget that you just made, and you can't get close to that, then it might be time to start to make some changes. If your house payment is greater than 30% of your income, it might be time to downsize or move to a neighborhood that's more affordable. If you have a huge car payment but no margin, it may be time to sell that car and get a Toyota Solara like Robbie drives. <laughs> it's not very sexy, but it gets the job done, right, man? <laughs> it's a two-door sedan. I don't understand it. What is the purpose of that car? It's a, a to B, you know, and sometimes it's the right thing to do. Good job, Robbie. If you made 80%, here's the thing, maybe it means eating more rice and beans than going out to eat. If you made 80% of what you make right now, you'd find a way to live on it. I would say find a way to live on it. Then have the margin and remove some of the financial strain from your life. Remove some financial stress from your life. And if that's not possible, then you need to make a plan to get to that place. Maybe that means education for a better career or it means paying down some debt, whatever it is, make it a goal to get to that 80% mark and do what you have to do to get there. Now, maybe you're getting frustrated with me at this point in the sermon 
I can hear you rustling in your seats out there. I can feel your dissatisfied glances. Maybe me talking about what you do with your money is making you a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you need to ask yourself why that is. Why is it making you uncomfortable? Am I making you uncomfortable? Or do you think it's the spirit behind the money that's making you uncomfortable? How we manage our money is a spiritual matter. And I believe that the spirit that is behind the money, that wants us to be slaves to our money, wants us to feel uncomfortable when somebody challenges how we use our money. Maybe you're getting so frustrated because you can't live on 80% right now. You just can't. Then I would encourage you to meet with a financial advisor, and I bet they can show you a plan to get there. I've got a list of a few in my office. If you send me an email this week, I will get you connected so you can sit down and start making steps to get to that place. You can meet with me, and I'll give you my opinion. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like a financial advisor, but I've got a ton of opinions, and I love to to give anybody an opinion that asks. (laughs) Probably don't meet with me about it. (laughs) I just want you to hear me say again, Rail and I didn't get to 75% overnight. We didn't get there overnight. From the time I met with my dad, it was four years until I got to 80%. Four years. I had too much bad debt that I had to pay down to live at that, at that level right away. And I'll talk about how to do that in a minute. But I also had some changes in the way I was using my money that I could implement right away that gave me a little bit more margin. That were able to improve my financial stress right away. Like where I buy my groceries. You ever heard of Save-A-Lot food stores? You can save a lot by buying food at those stores. Let me tell you, it ain't great food, but it is edible, okay? Um, Sometimes you've got to make those kind of sacrifices. What you buy has to change. Uh, How much I ate out had to change. What kind of car I drove had to change. And how much I could spend on rent or mortgage. All those things you could change now to give yourself more margin. It's a both and. Sometimes it's making the plan to get where you want to be, and it's making some changes today to help. If you don't have as big of a mess as I had to clean up, then I think you'll find you can get there a lot sooner than you think. All right, let's keep going. Number three is this. Lead with generosity. Lead with generosity. Here's what I mean by that. Before I spend, I give. Before I spend, I give. In order uh, to live in an abundance lifestyle, in order to stop viewing money through a lens of scarcity, in order to stop being so discontent with what I have, I need to be grateful and understand that everything comes from God and I've only given what comes from His hand anyways. And the way that I demonstrate that I understand that is by setting aside the money I will give away before setting aside the money I will keep. Did you know that tithing is more about leading than law? It's not about funding the church. It's about leading with generosity. It teaches you to put your hope in God and not in wealth. It teaches you that your security is in Him and not a bank account. It teaches us that we were put here to make a difference for others, not a kingdom for ourselves. It teaches us that contentment will never come from anything this world can provide. We need to lead with generosity because it resets our thinking. We were made to make a difference, and it makes us come alive to make a difference for others. Giving to the church to make it possible for us to make a difference together is a big part of that. We give first because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We don't want our heart to be with our bills. We don't want our heart to be with our car or our clothes 
or our stuff. We want our heart to be with God. So if we lead with generosity, our hearts will follow. Acts 20, 35 says, you'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering what our master said. You're far happier giving than getting. You will find joy in generosity once you learn to think right about it and you stop putting your hope in money. When I do my budget, I begin, first line item, not what's left over, where I start is by removing the 10% and then another percentage for generosity. And don't imagine that generosity is something you do once you have a lot of money. We get in this mindset where we think, yeah, I'll be generous one day, or I'll be generous when I get to this place financially, or it would be easy to be generous if I made the kind of money that they made. But actually, there's this story in the Bible that I think is there specifically for that mentality. One day, Jesus is sitting in the temple, and he's watching people give money. Isn't that great? Wouldn't that make church people so angry? He's just sitting there, just watching them give, just watching them. Y'all better watch out. He's just sitting there watching you give. And, and these guys come in, these rich people. I think that's funny. I thought that was funny. I'm sorry if that made you uncomfortable. Um, it's what he was doing. And so these guys come in, and they're wealthy guys. And they make a big show about dropping these huge checks, these huge bags of gold coins into the offering plate. And they want everybody to see it. And they make a show out of it. And they give like these large sums of money, but it's not a very large percentage of the actual amount of money they have. You see, they give, but there's not much sacrifice there. And they're doing it so people will see it. And Jesus is just not that impressed. He's just not that impressed. And then comes this woman. And she's a widow which means that she's barely getting by. She probably is a beggar. She's not able to provide for herself very well. And she comes by and she gives two pennies into the offering plate. And it's basically all the money she has. And Jesus is moved by her generosity. You see, your generosity is scalable to what you have. Generosity isn't something that comes when you're wealthy. Generosity is something that you can live in right now, today with what you have. Generosity isn't supposed to come out of your overflow. Generosity is supposed to come out of sacrifice. So when we lead with generosity, it changes the way we think about money. It flips it on its head. It starts to take it out of that center place where it wants to be in our hearts, and it replaces the money with the thing that we give to right there in our hearts. When we lead with generosity, it can lead us into a greater understanding of living in abundance rather than in scarcity. Lead with generosity. One more proverb on generosity. 11, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And then the fourth thing is this, and this is profound wisdom right here. Spend less money than you make. Spend less than you make. This is serious, life-changing. Listen, this is simple stewardship, and we can laugh about how obvious it sounds, but the reality is many of us don't live this way. Listen, stewardship is being wise with what you have, not with what you don't have or what you hope you will have. First part to this is budgeting. Second part is this. If you can avoid debt, avoid it. I believe there's two kinds of debt. Bad debt and neutral debt. I don't think there's any such a thing as good debt, but I believe there's bad debt and neutral debt. Here's what I mean by that. 
Neutral debt is school loans and any debt you have positive collateral or equity in. And so meaning you got school debt to get a job where you could live with margin, so we get that, or debt where if you needed to, you could sell the item the debt is on and make some money and no longer have the debt, so like your house. Or if you put like 50 or 60% down on a car, so the car is always worth more than you owe. But Proverbs 22.7 says the borrower is slave to the lender. So what's better is, if you can, avoid debt altogether. And you do this by practicing a principle that my dad tried so hard to teach me and I just would not learn, and that is delayed gratification. Delayed gratification, meaning if you want a pair of shoes and they cost $50, but you don't have $50, you wait to buy the shoes till you have $50. You don't use your credit card to buy the thing today that you should wait and buy tomorrow. Delayed gratification. Or you want to take a vacation. Or you want to buy a car. You wait until you have the money to do the thing. Delayed gratification is the opposite of instant gratification. America has $712 billion in credit card debt because we all crave and give in to instant gratification. Simple stuff. Basic wisdom. If you're already in a lot of bad debt, here's the simple version of how I got rid of mine. Uh, Pay off your smallest debt first and sacrifice to do this soon. Do it as soon as you can. I actually lived on a grocery budget of $100 a month and I ate out only once a month. And when I ate out, it was like at a Mexican restaurant for like 11 bucks total. And I did that for close to a year in order to pay off my first two credit cards. And then once you pay off one, take the whole payment and apply it to the next one until it's gone. And you keep doing this, rolling all the payments together until you're out of debt. When you get to that large $20,000 of school debt, you're putting all that money you were paying towards debt into that one bill so that you can knock it out quicker. And it requires sacrifice and discipline and hard work. But if you get to the other side of it, you can be out of debt so you can choose to live with margin, to live in abundance, to be generous, to do all the things that are going to take money out of the center place in your life so that Jesus can take his rightful place in your heart. This is basic wisdom because we want you to find freedom from financial scarcity and live in abundance. And I don't believe the the secret to that is just more money. See, I don't believe the way for you to live in greater abundance financially is to make more money. I don't think that's it. I I think it's using wisdom I think it's changing the way we think about it. I think it's changing the way we use money. I think it's making some some harder decisions. I think it's practicing some discipline. And I think it's taking something that was only ever meant to be a, 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 a means to an end, only ever meant to be something that you use to serve your purpose, to take it out of the position of your purpose. Because you were created specifically with a purpose in mind. God has dreams for you. Maybe you came in here today, you didn't know that. God has dreams for you. In fact, when he was creating you, and when he was crafting you, and when he was putting you together in your mother's womb, I don't believe you were an accident. I don't believe any person ever was, or ever is, or ever will be. I believe God had a purpose for you from the very beginning. And I believe that when he was giving you your purpose, that this, this thing that you would use in your life and, and that, that you would go after in your life and that you would work for in your life, money, I think money was only ever supposed to serve your purpose. 
I think it was only ever just supposed to be something that kind of drifts away, fades over to the side so that you can serve God with everything you are. But unfortunately, we get in this culture and in this world and money becomes the purpose. We try, to, we try to get the better job, to get the promotion, to provide for our family, to give our kids the lives we didn't have, to, to make sure they had the lives that we did have. Whatever it may be, we allow money to take center stage, and that is not a place it was ever meant to have. It's not a place it can sustain to have. And if we put it in that place, everything else will fall apart around it. And so this is just a little bit of wisdom to try and get us out of that position, out of that place. I want to leave you with this. Because God wants you to live satisfied and full. Don't let money get in the way of that. Money should be a part of how you serve others. It can't be something that you serve. Luke 29, 31. Luke 12, 29 through 31 says, Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink or be worried. For all the nations of this world seek after these things. Yeah, I know that your coworkers are always just thinking about how to get that promotion so they can have more money. I know that your neighbors are, are working hard to have the next great restaurant or, or idea in Asheville that's going to make them money. I, I know that, that the people around you wake up in the morning and go to work to make money. But God hasn't called you to live that way. God hasn't called you to live the way this world lives, to serve the things this world serves. Your Father knows you need those things. So instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. So you put the kingdom of God at its right place in your life, right in the center. You give him the center of who you are. You make him your focus. You let him dominate your thoughts. You let him dominate your actions. You let him dominate your decisions. You give him the centerpiece, and all this other stuff will fall in line. Don't serve money. Serve God. Honor God with your money. Think about God more than money, and he will give you what you need. You know, I used to think, that the only people who didn't think about money were rich people. I used to think that. I, I just believed that the only way that you didn't have to think about money all the time in your life was to make a whole bunch of it so that you could spend whatever you wanted. I was wrong. In fact, the statistics say I was wrong. We looked at a, at a, a, a study last week from Forbes magazine where they were asking people how much money is enough. And they asked millionaires, people who make $1 million per year, how much was enough for them to live on. And they said $4.5 million. I don't know why. Because when we allow money to take the center, we're just always looking for more of it. No, it's not going to change if you get more money. It has to change right now, today, here. We have to shift our focus. Because now, through, through some of this hard work, through some of these things, and, and really through attacking it in the spiritual, money isn't the first thing I think about when I wake up during the day. Money isn't, isn't always on my mind. Money isn't something I'm thinking about. I think about money when I sit down a couple times a month to do my budget and to make sure that I'm, I'm stewarding it well. And then the rest of the month, I'm not thinking about money because I don't serve money. I use money to serve the purpose that God created me with. And that's my prayer for you as well. That's my prayer for you as well, is that regardless of where you land on the income, regardless of where you land, that you would be able to wake up in the morning and know that you're serving the purpose you were created with instead of serving money, which only leads to more scarcity. I want you to live in the abundance that Jesus came to this earth to give you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, God, and what you've done for us, God. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you more, Father, to, to, to find you, God, to, 
I thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in relationship with you. That God, if we would just seek you, if we would give you the center, Father, if we would pursue you, that you could take place in our life right in the middle, right, right in our purpose, right in our, our day in and our day out, that God, you could take that center place in our life. That we wouldn't have to think about money as much, that we wouldn't think about all the things that distract us, that but God, we could just move closer to the purpose you created us with. And so God, my prayer today is that you would help us to make the right decisions, to put money in the right place, Father God, to think of it the way we should think of it, Father, to pursue you, not pursue riches, God, that we would pursue your people, Father God, that we would pursue our purpose, that we would pursue uh, the, the purpose to serve others around us, and that we would not pursue greater riches, Father. We love you. We worship you, God. We just lift your name up. Be glorified in what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.